All right, we'll be in Genesis chapter 15 tonight. Genesis chapter 15, keep your Bibles open because we're going to be looking in three specific passages of Scripture tonight. Before we get there, I want to say one more thing about this Awana Sunday uh, next week. So it's my understanding that the Sparks are going to come up. They're just going to, they're going to spend maybe five minutes and uh, just give them an opportunity to, to share a passage of Scripture they've learned and sing their little Spark song. But here's really where you come in to play. Because, you know, a lot of our Awana kids come from unchurched homes. Now, this is just between us, okay? And anybody who could be watching all over the world on live stream. But it's this just between us. You know, a lot of our Awana kids come from unchurched homes. So our, our hope in doing these Awana Sundays, and we'll do it each month with a different club, is to have a very brief time for them to kind of show you what they're learning. This will take the place of the big Awana closing program at the end of the year. That's my understanding. But our hope is to get some of these parents to come. Just, they may just be coming so that they see their kid, and, uh, but you never know what they may be impacted by the gospel, by the message that will be preached. And, uh, but you be on the lookout for people who look like they might be uncomfortable, they might be out of place, and you go out of the way to make them feel welcome next week. You don't know what kind of an impact that could make for the kingdom and for the future. Uh, but this is uh, next week, the Awana Sunday thing, and we do that every month. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of a, we want to show you what they're doing, but we also want to use it as an outreach opportunity to maybe reach some families who might come in just for that, who wouldn't go to church otherwise. So be on the lookout next week around the sanctuary. And if you see people coming in, they look like they're lost. You know, don't just sit there and watch them with, inter- you know, being entertained by the fact they're lost. You know, help them find where they're going. So uh, anyway, great opportunity next week. Genesis chapter 15, as we, st- we start to look at this text tonight, I was reminded of uh, a time when I was in college. Uh, the, la- the last six months I was in college, I worked for the radio station in Arkadelphia, a group of three radio stations. Uh, Mike Huckabee worked for him when he was in college too, you know. So anyway, um, you know, look where he is now. So I'm, I don't really know where he's at now. I think he's got a TV show or something. But anyway, uh, but the, the last six months of college, I worked for those radio stations. And uh, that led me, even after I had left the radio stations and I came to work at SAU, uh, they called me and wanted me to do play-by-play for high school football. Now, I loved doing that, and uh, I did it for two different teams over uh, about three seasons or so, and one of those teams uh, was the Smackover Buckaroos. Okay, so I got to do that, and I'd have to go to El Dorado because the same group owned the radio stations in El Dorado as Arkadelphia. They also own uh, some of the radio stations in Magnolia. And uh, anyway, uh, 99, whatever it is, the country, I don't listen to country music, so I don't know the, what it is. But anyway, they own some of the radio stations in Magnolia too, but that's all beside the point. I had to go to El Dorado and get my equipment to go call the ball game. Yes, yeah, see, this memory, I'm getting old. See the gray hair? I had to go to El Dorado and get the equipment. And so, uh, side story, this is not a rabbit I'm chasing. This is a very important part of the story. When you're in that radio business, you get to know other people in the radio business. And there had been a DJ at the El Dorado radio station that I had uh, gotten to know as an acquaintance, and she was a phenomenal broadcaster. In the meantime, they had a new station manager come in. I had never met the man before. He came in, they made some budget cuts, did some other things, and they scrapped this acquaintance slash friend of mine who was a DJ. So back over, I'm picking up my equipment. 
And an another friend of mine who worked at the radio station there, I'm standing there talking to him, and this kid-looking dude walks up. You know, I mean, he looks like a really young guy. Maybe he's still in college. And I don't know him. He tells me his name. I don't know him. So we continue our conversation. And in the meantime, I ask what happened to my DJ friend. Why did they cut her? And I got the company line. And so I just kind of went off. And I said, you know, how uneducated this new station manager must be. How not smart this new station manager must be. You see where I'm going with all this. And I mean, what I said wasn't as nice as saying he was not smart, you know? And, uh, but anyway, so I mean, I'm really going off. And the whole time, my friend, his eyes are getting bigger. And it was one of those, you need to just stop talking looks. And that was the last season I ever did play-by-play -play <laughs> for high school football. Because, yeah, the young guy was the station manager. You know, he told me his name. I thought I knew who he was. But I didn't know who he was. When you're talking to people, when you're talking to somebody, it's important to know who you're talking to, right? When we look in Genesis chapter 15, we come upon a conversation it's a conversation between Abraham and God. And we'll see that Abraham had all of the information about who he was talking to. Because unlike me and the station manager, Abraham knew who he was talking to, and that made all the difference And how this conversation turned out. So, Genesis chapter 15, beginning in verse 1, he writes, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram, in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Then, Abraham, then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but the one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him, for righteousness. Let's pray together tonight. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for the way you reveal yourself in your word. And Father, I pray tonight that as we look at this text, and as we look at a couple of other texts, that you would show us more of who you are, so that as we relate to you day in and day out, we are always keenly aware of exactly who we're talking to. And ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ten years have passed as we come to Genesis 15 from the time that Abraham left his, his people. We go back to Genesis 12, and you know God told Abraham to leave his country, to leave his family, to leave everything and go to a place that I'm going to take you. We fast-forwarded ten years since God made the very first promise to Abraham that he was going to give him an heir, and through Abraham his descendants would, would outnumber the sand, it would outnumber the stars we see here, and still... Ten years later, they're childless. Ten years have passed. No doubt they've been ten frustrating years. 
as they've waited on this promise of God to be fulfilled. Not just are they dealing with, they're waiting on that promise, but you know, he's just, as we come into this, it says, after these things, after what things? Well, he's had more problems with his nephew, with Lot. He's had to go rescue Lot. And uh, he's all, you know, Lot's caused some problems before, but on the way back from saving his nephew Lot, he encounters the king of Sodom, and the king of Sodom wants to offer him this reward for his successful venture, but Abraham turned him down and says, I'm not going to let anybody say I made Abram rich because my dependence is on God alone. And so as we come into chapter 15, verse 1, that's what God's talking about. After those things, after Abram said, no, look, my reward comes from God, God confirms that there in verse 1. He says to Abram, I am your shield. I am your great reward. God confirms that. But then let me paraphrase Abraham's response. He says, God, I know you're my reward, but you still hadn't given me what you said you'd give me. I know you're my reward, but you still haven't fulfilled that promise from 10 years ago. I sense this frustration. Can't you? I mean, if you feel like God has promised you something, and that was a big promise. It's not just I'm going to give you a kid. It was I'm going to give you a kid, and your descendants will outnumber the sand on, on the beach, about number of the stars in the sky, I'm going to give you this descendant, and through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. He's frustrated because he's nearly 100 years old. And if you're just looking at things from a natural point of view, the possibility of an heir is, well, zero. If you're looking at things from a natural point of view, but Abraham's not. Because if we really examine what he is saying, we see something in what he said, and it's the name that he calls God. When we look in verse 2, but, Abraham, but Abram said, Lord God. Now the word God, like the word Lord, when it has the small cap letters, that's Jehovah. But what is Lord? That word is Adonai. In the Hebrew, he says, Adonai, Jehovah, what will you give me? Even in his frustration, he recognizes God as Adonai. Now, why is that important? What does Adonai mean? Adonai, at it its, its most simple definition, means master. It means it's describing God as the one who is in control. It's describing God as the one who owns it all. He is Adonai. The name Adonai occurs some 340 times, I'm told, in the Hebrew Old Testament. And so to call God Adonai, or Master, means that you, it means Abram, realize something about himself. Because he refers to God as Master, as Adonai. Well, if God is his Adonai, what does it say about Abram? He recognizes himself as a slave. He recognizes himself as a slave. In order to recognize God as our master, we have to do the same. But then you have to understand something about the Jewish slave system. We have to erase everything from our memory we know about slavery in America because it's no, the two are not the same. Because, you see, the Jewish 
to the Jewish slave owner, the slave was more like a member of the family. Did you know in the Jewish slavery system, the slave, according to the law, had more rights than the hired hand? One example, when the family went to the temple to offer their sacrifice as a family, the slave could go as a member of the family, but the hired hand couldn't. The slave had more rights than the hired hand. You see, because in the Jewish master-slave relationship, there was more responsibility placed on the master than on the slave. As we examine that, you see, the master had to provide, was required by the law to to provide the needs of the slave. Had to require the food, the shelter, all the care that the slave needed. The master had to provide direction as for what the slave was to do. All the slave had to do was get up every day and do what he was told. He didn't have to worry, where's my next meal going to come from? Because according to the law, the master had to provide it. He didn't have to worry, where am I going to sleep tonight? Because according to the law, the master had to provide it. He didn't have to worry, well, i got to come up with a schedule, got to come up with a plan for what I'm going to do tomorrow. No. He just had to get up and do what the master said. He didn't have to plan his day. That was the master's responsibility. But here's the most important part. In order for the slave to receive all the benefits of the master, the slave had to recognize the authority of the master. He had to submit himself to the authority of the master, and by doing that, He received all the benefits that the master was required to provide. So back to the text. In chapter 15, verse 2, even amongst his frustration, and Abraham says, God, you hadn't even given me my child yet. He recognizes him as Adonai. It's as if he says, You haven't even given me my child yet, but I know you're in control. You haven't done what you told me you'd do, but I still trust that you're the one who's in control. In the relationship between the master and the slave, see, the slave doesn't get the final say as to when things happen. That comes from the master. Look back in the text at uh, chapter 15, Verse 4, and behold, the word of the Lord came to Abraham, saying, This one shall not be your heir, talking about Eliza of Damascus. This one shall not be your heir, but the one who will come from your own body will be your heir. Then he brought Abraham outside, and he said, Look now toward the heaven and count the stars if you're able to, to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord. And the Lord accounted it to him for righteousness. Because he recognized God as Adonai, even though he was frustrated, he allowed God to have the final say. He didn't just get mad at God and storm off. He allowed God to have the final say. He believed God could do it at nearly 100 years old. No way, no way under natural circumstances is a baby coming. They'd have to trust God. And so our first point is this. 
And I'll just tell you this, the points come on the end instead of at the beginning this time. The first point is this. When we trust God as Adonai, we trust that he has the resources and the ability to take care of what he's promised because he's the master and that's his job. Put it another way, he's going to do what he told us he'll do. Exodus chapter 4. Genesis chapter 15 is the first place that in the Bible where we find the name Adonai. Exodus chapter 4 is another place. We were here last week, the burning bush. God told Moses to go get his people from Egypt. Moses kept coming up with excuses as you read the story as to why he couldn't do it. What if they don't believe me? Just tell them I sent you. Pick up in chapter 4, verse, verse 1. Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, now I'd probably have fled from it too. He said, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, now put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out of his bosom, and behold, it was restored like his other flesh. Then it will be, if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be, if they do not believe, even those are these two signs, or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river and pour it on dry land. The water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. That's some powerful stuff. God said, if they don't believe you, you do, one, you do these three things. And I believe by Moses, God's given me the ability to do this. I'm probably strutting right in there to Pharaoh, don't you think? Probably not. But you think Moses ought to have all the confidence in the world. God's given him these signs that he can use to prove that the message is authentic. But look at verse 10. He's got another excuse. Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. In verse 10, let me read it again. Then Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Adonai, O oh my Adonai, I'm not eloquent, neither before nor since you've spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. In other words, I know you're in charge, but I'm going to mess it up. 
I know you're the master and I know you own it all, but I'm not that good. So we keep reading. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I'll be with you, and I'll be with your mouth, and teach you what you shall say. In other words, I made your mouth. I'm going to help you. I'm going to show you what to do. But we get to verse 13. And he said, Oh, my Adonai, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. I know you're in charge. I know you've got it all under control, but you don't understand. You got the wrong guy. You got to send somebody else. We get the rest of the story, then we'll talk about it some more. Verse 14. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And I will teach you what you shall do. So he said, so he shall be your spokesman to the people. And he himself shall be as a mouth for you and you shall be to him as God. And you shall take this rod in your hands, with which you shall do the signs. Moses knew God as Adonai. He knew that God was the master. He knew that God was in charge, but Moses doubted himself. You see, Moses never doubted God in this. Moses doubted himself, so God provided help through the person of Aaron. Here's the second point. When we trust God as Adonai, when we recognize him as the one who's in charge, the one who's in control, he'll provide help for us to do what he's called us to do. We don't have to worry that we're inadequate because he knows we are. But when we yield to him as Adonai, he's going to give us the help to do what he's called us to do. Joshua chapter 7, one last story. In Joshua chapter 7, they've just defeated Jericho and the walls came tumbling down, right? That's what the song says, that's what the Bible says, they just defeated Jericho. We look back in verse, I mean, in chapter uh, six, for just a second, before we get to our main story here, in uh, chapter six, verse seventeen, the walls have fallen, and uh, Joshua is speaking. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction. It and all who are in it, only Rahab the harlot shall live. She and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And you, listen to this, and you. By all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you, take care of, when you take care of the accursed things and you make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. 
they shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So he says, you put the silver and the gold and the vessels of bronze in the treasury of the Lord, you leave everything else, and it's for God to destroy as he sees fit. That's the accursed. It all belongs to God for him to do what he wants to. Chapter 7, verse 1. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Hmm. They kind of did what they weren't supposed to do, didn't they? God's anger is burning against the children of Israel because they did exactly what he told them not to do. One simple instruction. Just one little simple instruction, and they couldn't obey it. Verse 2. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon, on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not be weary, all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. In other words, you just destroyed Jericho. We got this. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them down on the descent. Therefore, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. And he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel returns its back, turns its back before its enemies? We'll stop there. They just defeated the great Jericho. Now God withdrew his hand from them because of the sin that was committed. And little bitty Ai killed 36 of their men. Joshua's grief is so great that he tears his clothes. A sign of just such great grief and discouragement. He's not only discouraged, but he's absolutely mortified at what has happened. His best plans have been dashed to pieces. Have you ever been there? I have. Discouraged. Maybe feel defeated. Maybe feel mortified just in utter disbelief that something so bad could happen. Just completely see the plans crumble in front of you. That's where Joshua's at. But look at what he did. He didn't just cry out to God. He cried out to God as Adonai. In verse 8, O Adonai. You see, all this has just happened. We don't understand why all this happened. Why did you bring us here? 
You know, why did you bring us here? Did, you know, we could have just stayed in Egypt. And then he stops, he relents. O Adonai, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? Where do we go from here? Master. You're the one that's really in control. Not me. So where do we go from here? Here's our last point. When we find ourselves at the end of ourselves and we're so discouraged, we're so disheartened that we don't even know what to do, but we remember that he's Adonai. We have the privilege of calling upon the one who's really in control to show us how to move forward. That's what Joshua did. Joshua called on Adonai because he knew that Adonai was the only one with the resources and the ability to take care of him and the people of Israel. He's the one who provides help that we need to carry on the duties that he's given us to do. We saw that as we looked at the story of Moses. He's the one who's the owner of it all. He controls it all. But one last thing to encourage us, and you don't have to turn there. It's one verse of Scripture. It's in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And you say, that's a beautiful verse, heard it before. Let me read it to you again. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw Adonai sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. You see, in the year the king died, Adonai was still on the throne. When, the, when everything on earth, when everything within the realm there of King Uzziah seemed like it was about to fall and crumble, Adonai was still on the throne, high and lifted up. So listen to this. There's so much chaos. There's so much dysfunction in our society today. It seems most days like nobody is in control. But guess what? Somebody is in control. His name is Adonai. He's still on his throne. He still has the resources and the ability to take care of us and fulfill his promise to us. He's still willing to help us carry on the duties that he's asked us to do. And we can still call on him for help like Joshua did anytime we need to. But it all comes down to one thing. We have to recognize him as Adonai. Is there anything before we're dismissed? 